Hey, this is Mark. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to let you know that after a couple of years of thinking about it and wanting to do it, I'm in a place where I'm ready to expand my practice to support couples. So if you're a person who is familiar with me, familiar with my work, and has confidence that I'd be able to help, and if you're in a place in your relationship where you could use some support, you may want to get in touch. I'm opening up some spots on Tuesday evenings, so that's got to be a fit for you if you'd like to get this kind of help. And if not, then don't worry, later I'm sure there will be other spots available. But if you already know me, like me, trust me, if you want some support in your relationship, and if you think you have time on Tuesday evenings, you can send me an email at mark at markbutler.com, and we'll talk about it. Now, as always, be warned that my email response time usually varies somewhere between 60 seconds and two weeks. So after you send the email, be patient. You will hear back from me. You'll either hear that I'm excited to talk with you or that the three spots that I've opened have already been uh, filled, but in either case, you will hear back from me sooner or later. Thanks for your patience in advance. I'm very excited to start helping couples. I think this is some of the most important work that any practitioner, any helper can do is to strengthen and support people in their relationships. So if that sounds like it could be a fit for you, get in touch, mark at markbutler.com. And with that, Let's see what's in this episode. Good morning, everybody. Wow. You can hear the voice or lack of voice. I am in the middle of something, in the middle of an illness. Don't worry. I have a large Diet Coke here. I think that's going to help. I got my friend Josh on the podcast today. Hello, Joshua. Is your audio on? I'm on. Good to see you. Good to see you too. You're all dressed up like a lawyer. (laughs) Just finished court. Got more this afternoon. I'm going to give, by the way, you're not sick. I know. I feel like everyone I know ever has been sick, is sick right now, but (laughs) Uh, this hit me like within hours of our breakfast the other morning. Oh, well, I, I hope it didn't come from me. I don't think it did. I've been worried that you've been sick because of me, but you sound great. And I sound like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to give some background for everybody on who you are and why you're here. So when did we meet? I don't know, six or seven years ago, five or six years ago. I don't know. Anyway, Josh is my very good friend who um, is a criminal lawyer of all things. But I was remembering this morning, Josh, that about four or five years ago, you and I were talking about coaching and somehow you got it in your head that I had recommended the prosperous coach to you, right? Yeah. We both found that book accidentally because, uh, we, I, you had told me to read a book and then I went to look for it, but didn't write it down. And I don't, I still don't even know what book you had recommended. I don't Uh, either. And I don't think you'd read prosperous coach. I read it and I was like, you should read this. And yeah, so that's how we found it. And the rest is history for us. So Josh is my very good friend. We get together a lot. We talk. Um, Josh gets a lot of attribution on this podcast because his feedback on these ideas make their way into future episodes. And I'm very grateful for that. And we're here today because I view you, Josh, as such a brilliant relationship builder. So kind of you to say, (laughs) well, I think I have good evidence. So when I met you, 
you were spending lots and lots of money every month on Google ads to get clients. And from then until now, you, you now spend no money every month on Google ads, but your practice is sort of bigger and better than it ever was, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so kind of to go one step back from that. So when I met you, we were doing other kinds of marketing, less Google ads, although some. And um, I was running around all over the place and charging really low fees. And you said, I think you need to double or triple or quadruple your fees, <laughs> which <laughs> was very scary to me. Uh, and then it really helped. It helped a ton. It transformed uh, my practice. And then... Um, yeah. And then, so in like 2017, my business, business partner retired and he was just, he wanted to just do ads. He didn't want to do anything that was going to take extra time. And uh, then he retired and I got to kind of think about what did I want my practice to look like? And the people whose practices I admired were people who didn't spend money on ads and who still had plenty of work. And so um, I spent a few years trying to figure out how to do that and trying to gain the courage to do it. And then when COVID started, we had to shut off our ads because the courts were closed. Um, and then we didn't turn our ads back on, but the cases started coming. And so that kind of gave me the courage to stay without the ads. And yeah, so now, I mean, if I really want to do some ad, I do it, but I, I never feel like I have to, or that, you know, the the huge bulk of businesses referrals from, from other lawyers. It's actually, I don't know that you've ever said to me that, um, when you started to go down the relationship path, you felt fear about doing that. Yeah, it was fear. We were addicted to the Google ads. Like that's so like in order, if we shut off the Google ads, we still had this huge, you know, we had like four paralegals at the time <clears throat> and we had expensive office space. So like the whole model was set up to support a certain amount of volume. And if we shut off the ads, we knew it would help our margins, but we I was worried we wouldn't be able to pay some of those commitments. Um, and so then COVID happened. Um, the other attorney kind of broke off. I needed less staff. So kind of towards the end of that summer, we went from four full-time to one full-time staff. And uh, yeah, the margins got way, way better. What were your, I remember um, some year, number of years ago, I came to downtown Salt Lake City and hung out with you and a group of other lawyers, and you were sort of teaching a workshop or something. Yeah. <laughs> In my yeah. memory, that's that's sort of one of your early efforts at relationship buildings with other relationship building with other lawyers. But what else did you do? And what was your mindset as you started to pursue a relationship-driven business instead of an ad-driven business? Well, I mean, I kind of had a journey on that too, because like initially I was like, this is what, this is what I see these other people doing. And so I have to do that. So like, I knew this other guy, he had jazz tickets and he had a, like my exact practice that I wanted. So I had jazz tickets. Another lawyer that I knew had the exact practice that I wanted and he participated in BNI. So I did BNI. Um, and uh, I think that that was helpful and it kind of like pushed me to do certain things. But then like, as I got, so the, the little event that we did in Salt Lake, um, it was cool. And it was for people that I already knew. It wasn't like it was bringing new people into the circle. But man, do I have anxiety right before those things. Like one of my deep, deep fears is that I'll throw a party and no one will show up. And I was like, <laughs> and so like what I realized was that <clears throat> those took so much energy to put together. 
and they were good, but like, I just wasn't going to do them, you know, consistently. And so what I've sort of learned since then is rather than trying to imitate other people, find the relationship building activities that I actually enjoy um, so that I don't have to dread them or feel anxious about them or take tons of energy to do them and just do those and not feel guilty that I don't want to do the other ones. My parent, my dad and my grandfather are kind of good examples of this because my grandfather is like the most thoughtful person in history. And he writes thank you notes and he remembers birthdays and he, um, and so like once you're in his circle, he will just drip random mail to you and text messages and calls and he remembers your name and he's not a member of the same church as me, but he came to my ward once when we lived in Clinton. And the first time he came, he met a bunch of people in my ward that I had never talked to. And then he came back a couple of years later for like a baby blessing. And he still remembered those people's names and what they had talked about and followed up on those conversations. He's just like the most thoughtful person. And he's great at building those kinds of relationships. And so I would feel guilty that I can't do that. Um, and then since then, I've just kind of given myself permission to be like, what do I just enjoy doing? What I love is one-on-one meals. I just love them. Um, when I have them on my calendar, I look forward to them. So I just give myself an unlimited budget for those. And um, if things are slow, I usually look and go, yeah, I haven't been going to enough breakfasts and lunches. And um, if I do, then everything else fills itself. So um, I don't always know how. I don't go with a specific ask. I'm not there to pitch somebody. But if I just go to lunch and breakfast with people, it like fills every single other thing up. Well, I want to talk more about that. I want to, I want, I do want to, um, maybe clarify two things and maybe talk about these two things earlier. You talked about jazz tickets. Josh, everybody is talking about the Utah jazz NBA team. That's here. Local <laughs> us. And not you have, at the music. <laughs> it's not music, right? You, you bought season tickets and you would share those tickets. Uh, Charlie and I went to a game, um, but you didn't, you didn't see that bear fruit. I did. And I still have jazz tickets, but, um, I still do. but it's not, you know, it's a nice thing to add. And if my wife said, you know what, let's not do the jazz tickets anymore, then I would stop. Like, I don't think it's essential. It's sort of just like a little, little edge thing. Um, that's, it's nice, but I don't think it's the, the thing that makes a difference. It's a nice way to kind of cement a relationship and tell somebody you care about them. But I read this book, Giftology, which I probably talked a lot about with you. Yeah. And I really like Giftology. I think Giftology is on my shelf up there. It's that black one, right? Between the orange one and the white one. Um, I love Giftology. Really, really good. But the my quibble with Giftology is that the guy who wrote it seems to think that the only way to build certain types of relationships is by giving really high impact gifts. And, you know, if some people are gift people go for it. Like, Can you give awesome. an example from giftology? Cause I, on your recommendation, I did read that book and I think it is interesting and can be compelling, but give people some, uh, like an example of what he talks about in that book. Uh, he starts out with a really fun story about this um, person that was just like a high leverage person in his industry. I think he was actually a coach and, um, and the author wanted to be introduced to this coach's clients. And so he actually, I think he knew that he was going to be in Cleveland where he was based at the time and said, come to a Cavs game with me, an NBA game with me. And the guy said, okay. And then he was flying into town and his plane was delayed. And that. so he went to Brooks Brothers and like bought their entire like fall collection in that guy's size, 
and then set up his hotel room as like a showroom for Brooks Brothers. And the guy ended up buying like three shirts and they returned the rest and Brooks Brothers was fine with it. And, you know, but it was just like this super, super thoughtful, really high impact gift. And uh, it ended up leading to a great relationship and, and lots of money and lots of business. Um, so I'm into that. I like I like giving gifts. I like receiving gifts. But um, so I, it can be effective. It's like, but if somebody's not a gift person, I don't know that they need to feel guilty about that. And uh, that's what I think that book is. Maybe it's too extreme in saying you have to get gifts. I'm, I don't know that that's true. Talk about BNI. So BNI stands for Business Networking Inter- International. I think. Uh, are you uh, still in, Are you still a member of BNI? Yeah, I am. Tell, tell people about BNI and what it is and what your experience of it is. So BNI is uh, this very formal networking group where you meet on a set schedule. You meet once a week. It's for like an hour and a half. You can't miss. They take attendance. Um, you have to, uh, you know, you kind of commit to giving a certain number of referrals and doing a certain number of meetings with the other people in the group. So it's very formal. And that was helpful for me because it just kind of forced me to kind of do certain things. And then I could kind of choose from those, which of those things I wanted to do more often. So the one-to-one meetings that are in BNI are, are pretty good. And I'm, I'm a fan of those. Again, it kind of tailors to my strengths. I think, I think I enjoy one-on-one meetings like that. One-on-one um, meetings are built are, are baked into BNI. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. You're supposed to give one referral do one um, one-to-one meeting and do one hour of continuing education, which let me tell you something, I have not done any of that. <laughs> I don't do any of their dumb continuing education. But um, yeah, you have to do, you're supposed to do one of those things a week in those three categories. Every week, you're supposed to do a one-on-one call every week with a BNI yeah. member? Yeah, usually in person, yeah. So BNI is like this, it's like this, what I would call a totally transactional, like we all know why we're here. We're not pretending to be here for any other reason. We are here to give and receive referrals. Yeah, I think that's right. And how have you experienced it? Um, so the, the people that are super transactional in the short term are tough. And I think that, you know, they don't get a lot of referrals. Um, so it's, it's transactional in that sense. The motto of BNI is giver's gain, meaning like just give, just give, give, give. And it'll come back, but you don't need to worry about how. Just like give and, and you'll be fine. And um, so like, just as an example, there's a guy in my BNI group who's a roofer and I was having a problem with like the gutters on my roof and they were flooding over and it was getting water on the front of the house. And I had like different roof guys come out and they were all like, no, we don't do that. you got to call this guy. And then that guy wouldn't call me back. It was such a pain. So this roofing guy, you know, he did his little pitch and I said, I've got this little issue. Would you come look at it? He's like, sure. So he comes down, looks at it. He goes, okay. In like two weeks, my guys are going to come over. Like, great. So they come over, they fix it. It looks amazing. Doesn't have that problem anymore. It was a huge headache. I was like, can I give you lots of money? And he was like, no, it's not okay. It wasn't, my desk is moving. He was like, it's not that big of a, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. And um, so he was not transactional in the sense that he was willing to just kind of invest in the relationship without tracking the dollars and cents on this particular transaction. So he's probably transactional, but in a longer term, more generous kind of way. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I want to talk about lunches. It's interesting you talk about breakfast, breakfasts and lunches because our favorite book, The Prosperous Coach, sort of specifically prohibits 
coffees, breakfasts, lunches as a, as a tactic for building a coaching business. Yeah. Talk about how you experience breakfasts and lunches and little one-on-one get togethers. I mean, what, what, like my jam is, is like, I like being with people and like really like enjoying being with them and not having a specific agenda, not being like, Hey, I need you to send me your clients or, Hey, I need you to introduce me to this person or something like that. Like, um, I'll sometimes ask people really specific questions. I'll be like, you know, what is the biggest problem that your business is having and how can I help you with that? But like, I don't want to come and be telling them, Hey, here's what you, you have to do for me. I don't, I don't like that. And so, um, so anyway, so, uh, lawyering is, um, analogous to coaching, but it may not be quite the same because I think what's pretty smart about prosperous coach is that like the experience of coaching sells coaching, not talking about coaching, not pitching coaching, it's actually experiencing it. And, um, and so you're a good example of that because like when we met and we had the double or triple or quadruple your fees conversation, um, I was like, what do you do? And you're like, I'm a consultant. And I was like, I never know what that means. And you said, well, let me show you. I thought that was such a great uh, response. Like, let, you know, let me show you. So we sat down in two chairs and had like a 90 minute conversation. And at the end of it, it was like, it was transformative to my business. Super helpful. So um, like, so if somebody was like, hey, I have this kind of problem. And it was a problem that I thought you could help with. I'd be like, I've experienced it. You need to call Mark and he will help you. Not because you told me about it or you pitched me on it or you had a testimonial, but because I experienced it. So, and I agree with that, of course, but what, what you seem to do with your, your one-on-one meal meetings is you seem to use them purely for relationship building. I think a lot of coaches struggle with relationship building. If I say to them, who right now would you have a coaching conversation conversation with? I think many of them would say, well, I don't know. I think it's because they haven't done the upstream stuff of nurturing relationships that then could become coaching experiences. I think, and this is my guess, I think you go to lunch and breakfast with a lot of lawyers, but I don't think you only go to lunch and breakfast with lawyers. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Do you discriminate at all? Yeah. I mean, because um, I know that lawyers are 90% of my referrals. Um, And so if someone um, is a lawyer and I can meet with them, like I'll move stuff. I'll hire somebody to do what I was going to do during that time. Like that's super, super high priority. If it's somebody who's not a lawyer, I'm still happy to meet with them. And, you know, if I like them, then they'll kind of go into the rotation. But, um, but the ones that I just know are, are super, super high priority are are those types of relationships. But you don't go, even in a a meeting with a lawyer, you don't go in transactionally. You don't go in saying, okay, I'm going to get this, this, this uh, lawyer to give me all their, their, to refer me all their criminal work. Never. What, what, what's a, what does a conversation sound like? Or, I mean, you're not going to role play, but I'm <laughs> yeah. like, what are the conversations you're having with these lawyers? You're just talking about life, about business, about whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I try to avoid talking about cases because it's so freaking boring. Like who, you know, who cares? <laughs> like, I don't, you know, sometimes they'll want a story. And so I'll tell them about one of my cases and it's a funny story. I'll try to, to make it as non-technical as possible. I like something that I like in evaluating a lunch, I want to think like, is this person going to be excited if I call them, if they see me on the caller ID in a month, 
And if they're like, no, because he freaking complained about his clients the whole time. And that was a drag. I did not like that. Then I don't, I'm, I don't think they want to, you know? And so, um, so yeah, it'll be more just like, Hey, what's going on? What's something cool that you've read? What, what's a cool movie that you've seen? And, um, and try to kind of get really to understand them and what they're going through at that time. And, um, you know, and if there's a way that, you know, if we talk about a book then I'll try to send them that book after, after the lunch, or if um, there's somebody I can introduce them to, or like, I really try to be very intentional about looking for ways to make their life a little bit better, but, but yeah, not with a pitch. There's no pitch. I don't think you've ever said the thing to me that you just said, which is I want them to be excited when they see my name on their caller ID. Heck yeah. That's, that's, or, or see my email in their inbox. That I think so perfectly captures the mindset of the relationship builder, the non-transactional relationship builder. Because if you have an interaction with someone and you can tell, because humans can map each other, right? We know if somebody has a transactional intent in their interaction with us, you're not going to be excited to see their name on the caller ID or their right. email in your inbox. Right. If they're calling and asking for something all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting though, too, because I've noticed that asking for something can actually like cement the relationship or deepen it. So like if you've shown up and you've been really helpful with them, like I just wrote this book called Criminal Defense Referrals. And so some of the people that are kind of in my rotation of lunches, I'll, I'll call them and I'll be, or text them and be like, Hey, can I ask you a huge favor that you can totally say no to? Would you write me an Amazon review for this book? I'll send you a PDF of the book. And it seems for, I, I think sometimes they're like, I'm so glad that I could do that for you. Like, it's not reducing my equity with that person. It's, they're like, ah, oh, yes, I would love to do that for you. You know, seems to be, maybe not. I mean, maybe they'll listen to this and be like, freaking Josh, won't stop spamming me about writing a review for this book. But, um, you know, it's funny how, like, I don't think people want to be in one-way relationships. Um, I don't, something that I do think about too, is I don't love going to lunch with people who are way ahead of me in my career or way, way behind me. Like, cause it's just a weird dynamic, kind of a power dynamic. I'd rather be at lunch with somebody where we're like in the same universe and we, you know, and I don't want to feel like I'm like somebody's mentor or like I'm going to somebody like with my hand out. I want to, I want to be in pretty equal relationships and they can be complementary in different relationships, but I, I don't want to be in a, you know, I don't, if I, I could go to lunch with a Senator, I'd be like, I mean, fine, I guess I'll go. I, I wouldn't say no. I'd feel too guilty to say no, but I'm not going to enjoy it. Uh, what I do enjoy is, is going with people who are, who I consider peers. How do you, how do you uh, gauge whether they're a peer? it's just a vibe. I mean, it's not, it's not real. Um, but, uh, but we have to agree that we're peers. Like if I think we're peers and you don't, it's rough. Like there's this lawyer I really like, and I worked with for a while and he just was like, every time he saw me or every, anytime he saw me with somebody who would like compliment me to that other person. And I think it was pretty sincere, but it was like super uncomfortable that you'd be like, Josh is the greatest. And I was like, I'm not that great. Like, let's everybody relax. Like, this is not, you know, so it's weird. It's that that's just me. So like if somebody else is like, I love going to lunch with famous people, great, go to lunch with famous people. Or I love going to lunch with people who are just starting out. Great, those are your people. That's great. It's just not my and so again, in the past, I would have felt guilty that well, I had this opportunity to go to lunch with somebody who's, you know, on all these committees and makes tons of money. And I just don't really want to go to lunch with them. 
And now I'm just kind of like, that's okay. I don't have to. Yeah. I'm curious about whether you give any thought to a person's journey from having lunch with you to giving you referrals. Do you, do you ever map that in any way? No, no, because um, it's relatively low frequency. Um, so somebody can have all the, somebody can be committed. Like I am going to send Josh Barron all of my criminal defense referrals and then just not get any calls about criminal defense. And that's totally fine. Like that person is in the loyal bucket. Like they don't, there's no, you know, they're mission accomplished, even though they never sent me a referral. And then somebody else might be sending me 10% of their referrals, but they may get so many that, you know, that's also mission accomplished. So it's just, it's just having those relationships. Um, I kind of think about three tiers. Like one is people who send people who are potential clients. And I get very few of those because it's so low frequency. It's just like the chances that I meet someone and then in the next month they get a criminal case. Like that's, I'm not associating with those people. So that's really hard for me to meet. Then the second group is people who send me referrals. So, and so that's usually a lawyer who like somebody in their ward gets a DUI and they call them and you know they refer them to me. That's awesome. And that's a huge chunk. And then the other one that it took me a long time to think about is the people who don't send me cases, but they send me people who send me cases. So it's like one degree removed from that. So a guy who's like, I only do corporate law. Everyone knows that. I never get calls about criminal cases, but I know every other lawyer and can introduce me to other lawyers. That's also super valuable. So, um, and also, I guess that's the one thing that I will ask for is, hey, could you introduce me to this other lawyer, you know? And um, most people, that's such an easy ask that it's sort of like asking for an Amazon review. It doesn't, it doesn't cost them. It probably helps them because it gives them a reason to reconnect with that other lawyer. That reminds me of, of my favorite Josh gets referrals story, which is about the big firm in downtown Salt Lake that never gives referrals to people like you, but now they do. <laughs> Can I tell that story? I want, I love it. I want you to tell the story. I love it so much. So um, there's a guy in my BNI group that was um, working at this really like prestigious law firm. And um, it took me a long time, but I worked up the courage and I went to him and I said, like my dream would be, I don't know when if this could ever happen, but my dream would be if your firm would refer me criminal cases. And he was like, oh, I never thought about that. Why don't you come to my office and I'll introduce you around. And I was like, great. So I went to his office, we chatted for like 20 minutes. And then he, his office was set up in a circle, you know, with all the offices around the edge. And so we just walked around and anybody who's in their office, he would knock on the door or come in and, hey, this is Josh Barron. He's a criminal defense attorney. And every person we talked to said, He's a criminal defense lawyer. We send all of our referrals to this other guy. <laughs> it's like, that's, I know. <laughs> yeah, cool. He's good, you know? And um, and so they kept doing that, you know? And it was it was really nice of him to introduce me to everyone. But like, I think one way to look at it might've been to be like, oh, they, I did not convince anyone to stop sending that other guy referrals. Um, but I, like, like something in my body said, just chill, just chill out. It's okay. So we ended at like one of the main partner's offices. He had this gorgeous office with cool stuff on his walls. And so, and I had read Giftology. And so I thought, should I send him some Cutco knives? And then I thought, no, just be chill, be chill. So then, you know, probably six months or a year goes by. And the guy who had walked me around called me and said, hey, I have a family member who has this minor criminal case. Would you help him with it? Sure. Didn't charge him anything for it. You know, 
then somebody else had something small did that for free and you know and then um within like it probably took two years but they like had referred me since that two-year mark three or four of my absolute ideal cases that were worth like a lot of money to me like a lot of money and um so, I mean, you know, that's a case where I was trying to trying a little bit to replace an existing referral relationship, which is really challenging. It's much easier to go where there is no relationship than to uh, replace an existing one. But it was like important enough and they have enough lawyers there and stuff that I thought, you know, I'll probably I'll throw a little bit of effort towards this and see where it goes. And it might not go anywhere. And over the years, it's been great. and They've sent me amazing referrals. So trying to think how that would be useful at all to your <laughs> current audience. I mean, um, just, you know, I, I guess I just kind of, I, I'm glad I was patient and that I didn't try to force it faster than that. And it's worked out really, really well, but I think the patience was a, was an element of it. Uh, I think there are lots of lessons. One of which you already taught really well, which is relax, just be present, be present with the person that you're hoping to serve. And you did that very well with that big firm. You were able to drop your transactional attitude because you did have it. What I love about that story, one of the things I love about that story is you opened with transactional intent. You told the guy, I would love for your firm to refer, refer me criminal work, which is, which is different from being grabby or needy. It's just being sincere. You're just sort of like, hey, I just want to let you know. It's very, what you did, I think, is very flattering. It, it shows a lot of respect. It says you're special, and I would love to have you. I would love to get some of that specialness. That so that's different, I think, than being grabby or needy. And then you stayed very calm as every person in the circle said, "Nice to meet you, Josh. We refer our business elsewhere." And if I remember right, you told me that even the main guy who was very nice to you, like one of the name partners, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Even he said, "Oh, it's great to meet you. We refer all of our business to that other guy." Yeah. And you said, great, no problem. Nice to meet you. But just with patience and with continuing to make small investments in that relationship, eventually it bore fruit. So yes, the patient's a big part of it. But I think another big lesson is there are certain relationships that are worth over investing in and just waiting because you, you can see a certain, a certain person or a certain organization and you can say, if that person were ever to start sending me referrals, I, I win. Yeah. It would change my business. So that one referral partner could be worth 10x, 100x um, as a referrer than any given lunch that you go to. So you're doing both. You're yeah. meeting with people. You're adding value to individuals. You're in the steady day-to-day -day sort of relationship gardening of those meals. <laughs> wow. and. You're also looking at some, you looked at one big, big win and you said, I can make investments there over the long term and just see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you use that gardening analogy. I've heard you do it um, before on this podcast. And um, I don't know where, but I'd gotten this idea when I was starting to think about referrals that, I, you know, like if you needed a referral right now, what would you do? Like, and then I felt guilty. I wasn't willing to do what came into my mind when I thought about that. Cause I, like, I'm not going to call somebody and beg them for a referral. I tried that one time and it was a disaster. I'm never doing that, you know, but then I think, I think the gardening analogy is good because it's kind of like saying, if you needed to eat corn tonight, what kind of corn would you plant this morning? And the answer is 
none. There is none. You cannot do that. Um, and so um, what that means is, yeah, plant. And then how do you pay your mortgage in the meantime? You get a job or you get a loan or you partner with someone who has, you know, on, you know what I mean? Like there's different ways to do it, but just don't expect that to pay your mortgage right now. You have to, you have to wait the time it takes for that kind of stuff to, to take, take root. And sometimes it takes a year or two years or two and a half years, or, you know, who knows how long. Um, five years. Right. That's what the good thing about corn is you kind of know when it's going to bear fruit. <laughs> sometimes you don't, um, but it will, it will. And, uh, yeah, so that's kind of, you know, so the the for me, because, because of my personality, not because everyone needs this, but for me, the score card that I need to keep is how many lunches, lunch invitations and breakfast invitations did I extend? There's like a direct, though eventual correlation between those. But I, again, I don't show up and say, I need you to make me a referral today or this week. I show up and I'm just like, I want to be somebody that you're excited to see on your caller ID. So I want to talk about... I want, um... You know, Josh is talking so much about referrals, which I think does apply to all of us as coaches, but some of you might listen to this and say, well, he's only talking about referrals. And I want you to reframe this and think that everything Josh is saying about referrals, we as coaches can probably be more direct. Um, like all of us could say, I'm going to invite people to lunches who are potential clients and just do all the things that Josh is talking about, but with a person who could potentially be a client. Because in Josh's case, because he does criminal work, as you pointed out already, going to lunch with any given person and then the possibility that that person ends up in a criminal case, you know, having charges in the next whenever is probably close to zero because you're mostly not hanging out with people who are potentially going to be dealing with criminal charges. So that's why Josh has built this whole thing around referrals from other lawyers but for all of us, we would just swap in the kind of person that I hope to work with my coaching business. But then I'm going to, I'm going to have a purely non-transactional gardening mindset as I'm meeting with that person, whether it's a meal or a phone call or whatever it is. No, I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. And um, yeah, so, so to be in a position where you can generously say, Hey, you know, I think it'd be really cool if we worked on this together. Would that be cool for you? Yeah. And if they say, no, I don't work on that at all. Like, I'm not interested in that. Great. Okay. I misread our interaction. Yeah, that's fine. I don't want to work on something you don't want to work on. But if somebody's like, no, man, that you're, that you're right on. That is the thing. If we could fix that or if we could create that, then that would be just a home run. Then it's much easier. Because I think like we've talked about scale versus not scale, you know? And um, so like when we say, okay, I, I'm creating a program and now I have to fill that program with people and it's so uncustomized and like you're starting with the assumption or the hope that people have this need and then trying to cram people into that need who maybe don't fit it. And what's cool about one-on-one -on -one coaching is that it is so customized to the individual. So like, what do you, what do you want to work on? What do you care about right now? What's causing you anxiety? What's, you know, let's work on that versus everybody needs blank. So you join my course and it's going to do blank. You know, that flows right through to that, to that meal. If it's a meal, whatever it is, it, you can sit with somebody over lunch and very casually and non-transactionally say, what are you, what are you working on in life? Like what's you're you, by the way, are great at this. You do this all the time. You do it with me. I've seen you do it with other people. You ask them like, what, what's your big thing right now? 
And then we have great conversations about what my big thing is. And I know you're doing that with other people. And it shows such a genuine interest in them that it cannot help but build a bond between that person and you, where at the very least they walk away saying, he was, he was so interested in me and what I have going on. Yeah. And I think that's a huge part of them being excited to see your name on the caller ID. Yeah. Can I tell you about two girls in a row that wouldn't call me back? That wouldn't call you back? Not call me back. Yes. <laughs> As a PYU. And um, I had this thought that- well, This is like a dating scenario. Yeah, this is a dating story. This is I had awesome. this thought that I'm a lot. Like, I'm just a lot. It's just a lot to be around me. And so um, I had this idea that I was going to go to, you know, go on a date with this girl. And so I got set up on these two dates kind of close together and liked both of the girls. And, and my- um, thought was, I'm just going to show up and I'm just going to ask questions about them. I'm just not going to let it turn around. I'm just going to be totally focused on them. So we, you know, go to a volleyball game or we go to lunch or whatever it was. And then I called them. I was like, oh, they're fantastic. They're so interesting. And then I called them, you know, a day later and no call back. Wait a week, call one more time, no call back. And I was like, oh, so um, like it's, so the balance is like asking the question, like, what's your big thing? And then being willing to say, Oh, you know, what do, you know, let's talk about this, you know, like really engage with it and not because I think it can be creepy on a certain extreme of just, you know, asking them deep questions that reveal themselves and then not revealing yourself to them. So not that coaches need to be told that. I'm sure coaches are really good about that. But I think the challenge was that I was learning a ton about them, but not necessarily um helping or you know in the conversation they were having to carry the whole stinking load uh but um so anyway so i i you know i try to be totally focused during lunch like i really try to have my phone be off and i'm you know i try to budget enough time so that if it goes two hours that's not a problem i'm not gonna be late and and uh and really just kind of lock in there and, and have a really um engaged lunch and what's hard is if you go with three or four people two of you might be like, let's talk about God or let's talk about death or let's talk about child rearing, you know? And the other two are like, no, we were talking about a Marvel movie. What are we, what are we doing here? So that's one of the reasons that like a one-on-one lunch is just my, and like, it's, it's so much better for me than a four person lunch or a three person lunch. It's just, it's, you know, I want to go where that one person wants to go, but, but other people are great in four, four person groups or six person groups or whatever. And they should do that. Like, it's not that one person one-on-one is the best way. It's just the best way for me. It's just what I enjoy. Well, and what I like about what you're saying is that you, you, what you do appears very effortless from the outside. I can say as a person who interacts with you a decent amount, but it's obvious that it's all of it's thoughtful. It's intent. It's not transactional, but it is intentional. You know what you're doing and why you're doing it. And you know what seeds you're trying to plant and you know what fruit you're hoping it will bear. Right, right. So the challenge is to go to the lunch and know this person would be an ideal referral partner or an ideal client, but then also to have just enough money in the bank so that you don't like need this one right now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so that you can just be like, it's going to happen when it happens and Maybe they, maybe they don't agree that this is great or maybe they already have somebody and all that's okay. Like we just have to like keep that desperation slightly at bay. Yeah. Need, need is sort of the death of everything that we're talking about. It's sort of the, like if, cause again, I think human beings read that in each other. 
Yeah. And if, and if someone senses need in you, it's, it's repellent. I think it's repellent. I, I do too. I do too. Any other thoughts before we open this up for, uh, for chat with this, with this group? Uh, no, I, I mean, yes, it's, it's, yeah. Listening to the podcast is fun for me because it's like going to breakfast with you. So <laughs> I enjoy it. Um, I think I'm the first guest, right? You are the first live guest. I've recorded two other interviews. I have not, I'll publish them at some point, but I didn't record them with the live studio audience. Oh, cool. Cool. Well, I'm honored. And I hope that we didn't break the cool mold of, of hearing you as I do at breakfast often. <laughs> uh, no, I, and I love that you're a lawyer. I think it's, it's a different perspective. I think sometimes coaches, well, especially in the spirit of this podcast, they're all they're hearing about is funnels and advertising and trainings and all this. And for you to come in as an outsider to this world and say, here's how I do relationship gardening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that reminds me of the thought about scale, which is um, Google ads and Facebook ads and Instagram ads and all the ads, YouTube ads, they're all scalable, which sounds great. But the problem is that when something is scalable, you have to compete with every other human on the planet. So if you're going to be a Google ads business, which I was for many years, and we've made good money in it, but like you have to be committed to being the best at Google ads and, and maintaining that when everyone else in the world wants to be the best at Google ads. And eventually I got to the point where I said, I don't want that to be the core competency. I, you know, I don't want that to be what determines whether my business lives or dies. I just can't stay on that treadmill. And so I'm going to go to something that is not scalable that some company in New York can't do, cannot do better than me. Like they can't, because they're just not going to be here and have lunch with this person. And so um, it's just like picking a game that's winnable versus one that's just eternal. And, and you know, mine's compounding. Like over time, I just know more and more and more people. And, you know, those people know more and more people. And it just like, it's, it's kind of inevitable in its success. Whereas Google ads was just like a constant, constant, battle that we were just barely winning. I love that you talk about inevitability it, because it is at, at a certain point, the, the relationship gardening you've done, like these become perennial, perennial relationships where at a certain point, and you're probably already there. If you quit criminal law completely for years to come, you would still be getting referrals. Right. You would have to you have you'd have to actively push away the work that wants to, to come in. Call your everyone and say, stop calling me about criminal cases. Because yeah, they would just keep sending them to me. Yeah. Whereas with Google ads or Facebook ads, literally from one day to the next, it can be I'm winning and tomorrow I'm losing. This is uh to make your to prove your point about like everyone's trying to win this game and it's really hard to know how to win it. And there's so many variables. This just came up with a client the other day who, who I work with, and she does do tons of advertising and very successfully. We were talking with her marketing guy and he was like, oh yeah. So when you're making videos, you need to grab something from your desk and just like hold it up in front of the camera, because that is enough of an eye catcher that people are more likely to click and watch your video. And I thought to myself, Number one, I'm glad he's able to give her that insight because following up a few weeks later, it was working. <laughs> so that's interesting. But number two, 
I do not want to be in a business. I do not want to be employing strategies and tactics in my business where I have to play games like picking up my phone off my desk and waving it in front of the camera to try to grab somebody's attention for a split second so they watch my ad. That's a game that seems so easy to lose that I don't want to play at all. And it works this month and then everybody's doing it. And so it stops working and you got to learn the new thing. And yeah, no compounding effect. As soon as you stop paying Google, they will stop displaying your ads. No compounding effect. No residual. Yeah. Awesome. Who's got questions? Who's got conversation? For me or for Josh or... I don't know if you can see the chat. I guess you can't see the chat. Jill says, this has been so awesome. Thanks for inviting oh, Joshua. Can we answer Linda's question? Yes, please do. Okay, Linda's question is, what do you think about giving a cash reward or a $100 gift card to someone giving you a referral? And then can we, we'll talk to Jill. Is that cool? Um, yeah. Okay, I have strong feelings on this, on Linda's question. Um, it may not be true or right, but it's it's worked for me. <clears throat> for a long time, I thought the only way to get referrals was to pay referral fees, kickbacks, you know, it's like, why else would anybody send a referral? They should just do the work themselves. Um, and I think that paying referral fees actually kind of complicates the equation a little bit. Um, so let's say I get a call about a divorce and then I refer them to some lawyer I know who I know does a really good job at divorces. And then the client calls me back and says, thank you so much. She's so great. That really helped me. Cool. Like that was, I feel really good about that transaction. Now, same transaction, but the divorce lawyer sends me $100 every time I do it. Now I got to wonder, like if my cousin gets divorced, I have to decide, like, am I sending it to them because I want the $100 or am I sending them because they're actually the right person? So it kind of like, internally like muddies that decision. I'd rather send it somewhere where it's clean. And so what I've realized is that the, like if I introduce someone to Mark because Mark would be perfect for working with their business, I'm serving Mark, but I'm also serving that person that I, that I referred over. And I have confidence that Mark will make me look good if I introduce someone to him. So like that's where the service and the value gets created. If you add a financial part to it, it might ruin it. That doesn't necessarily mean like no one should do it ever, but it might, it might. Um, and, uh, you know, so like if, if Mark and his wife invited me over to their house and we had dinner with Mark and it was this great experience. And um, then at the end of it, I was walking out and I gave him $200 and said, Mark, this was a $200 experience. Thank you so much. Like a classical economist would say he's $200 richer. That was a great thing for Mark, but we all know because we have social skills that would be really weird and it would like ruin ruin it retroactively. Like that would color our memory of it forever. And so I think the same thing can happen if you pay for referrals that you may muddy it and may, may ruin it. So you just need to make sure that you know why people are doing it. And if they're doing it as an act of service to the person, then paying them for it might, might kind of retroactively ruin it. And, and you don't, in my opinion, you don't really want referral partners who are doing it for any other reason than as an act of service to the other person. So over the years, this has been more relevant with my bookkeeping business, but I'll have clients or people reach out and say, do you have a referral program, an affiliate program? I'd love to send people to your bookkeeping business. I'd love to, you know, have a little 
paid referral relationship. And I've done it just a couple of times and the referrals are terrible. And then the relationship is weird. Now I have to, now I have to sort of try to maintain the relationship with the referrer and I have to make sure they're happy. And did we track your referrals correctly? Now they've introduced complexity into their business. And it just, it's just, I don't think it works. I don't think it works. So it, might, I, it hasn't worked for me, but it might. Um, but uh, so a really good book on this is called Referrals Without Asking by Stacey Brown Randall. She has a podcast too. She's really good on this. And, hmm. and so she, she makes this like little triangle where she's like, you're the referral source. Here's the client. Here's the referral receiver. Like, what are they getting out of it? Well, the, the, the referral source wants to make sure that they look good in the relationship with the client. So the, the first time you send a referral to someone, they don't call them back or they're a jerk to them or something that destroys the relationship gone, you know? And so, and the other problem is that if you're paying for referrals, then you're competing on price. And there's almost always someone who's willing to pay more or charge less or, you know what I mean? Like it's just not sustainable. It doesn't compound. I think that people, I think that it seems so innocuous. It seems very innocent to say, I'm going to pay for referrals, but what it could be masking on the mental, emotional side is some sense of inadequacy, some sense of insecurity. You pointed this out a second ago, Josh, when you said, I thought I had to pay everyone for referrals because why else would they give me referrals? And that was because you hadn't yet really understood the web of uh, the sort of value that's created with you and your relationships. And so I would, I would sort of uh, kind of look inside and say, why am I, why do I think I need to pay for referrals? Is it because I think that my value is in some way deficient or it could just be as simple as not understanding the, 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 the deep satisfaction human beings get from giving uh, from referring a successful solution to another person. It just feels amazing. Amen. I have a friend in Canada who does Facebook advertising and um, the, my favorite thing that she she's ever said to me is we're naming a wing of our house after you <laughs> because I have referred her. I know that now it's in the millions of dollars in business. Oh, that's funny. Uh, and I never asked for a referral fee. I never wanted a referral fee. I love her. She does amazing work. When I refer clients to her, she makes me look good as the referrer. And that's what we just, want. just her saying a wing of her house is named after me is just the most fantastic compensation. We need to make like a plaque for her to like screw to the wall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want a little statue of me in the front yard. I don't think that's a big ask. <laughs> Jill, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I want to. I want to have Jill talk to you, Josh. Hey, thanks. Thanks for setting this up, Mark. This has been amazing. This has been so so valuable. I love the. There's no compounding effect. <laughs> I like broke that down immediately. Um, but anyways, I feel like I I do love connecting with people and. I found the prosperous coach a long time ago. And as soon as I read it, I was like, that is me. That's exactly how I want to do business. And, um, and so I've always been kind of all in on that. And I, I don't feel like I'm transactional in my connections, but I also don't feel like I am what you called Mark thoughtful about it. So I want to kind of start a discussion around that. Um, I guess 
I don't know that if I think about it, I don't know off the top of my head how I would be more thoughtful or intentional about those connections. So maybe you can share a little bit more about that from a coaching perspective, from building Mark a coaching is, business. Mark is anti-niche. <laughs> and that's probably okay. Um, but <laughs> that's probably okay. <laughs> I'm ready, I'm ready for you to say it's not okay. Go on. But um it's sort of like I'm trying to think of a good analogy. I wanna the one that's kind of coming to my mind is like which which pond do I want to be fishing in? Like uh, Mark, while well, he was on a previous podcast, kind of asked like one of the people that chimed in and said, if there were 500 of this type of people in a room, do you want to be in that room? Like, do you enjoy that? And I think that's like the thoughtful part. Like if I was going to lunch with preschool teachers, there's just no, their, kid, their kids are not going to come in and be crying. <laughs> like that is just not, it's not impossible that they would have referrals for me, but it's just not likely. And so if somebody who's a preschool teacher reached out to me, it's not that I would say no, but I'm not like, when I talk to people saying, can you introduce me to blank? I'm not saying, can you introduce me to other preschool teachers? They say, can you introduce me to other lawyers? And they'll say, well, does it have to be a criminal lawyer? And I'll go, it could be, but it doesn't have to be. What about a divorce lawyer? Sure. What about a tax lawyer? Great. Like, Because I just know that like that's the pond that I want to be fishing in, you know? And um, so if you're not in the pond, you can't catch it. Like you just can't. Um, but, and then, so then the question is, once you're in the pond, what do you do to make sure that you have some chance of catching, catching what you want? So that, I don't know if that's a helpful analogy, but, um, yeah, that, that helps a lot. Yeah. What I pond do want said, to... gather with your people and gather your people. And so you have to, it's somewhat niche to say, but you have to decide like, who are those people? Who are your people? And it doesn't have to be committed. Like you can't say like, I'm going to serve this people. And that means I'm never going to talk to anybody else, but like that's what I'm going to focus on this week or this month or with this activity or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, that's very helpful. Thank you. Um, Josh, Jill's question about thoughtfulness also sparked in me sort of uh, your story about your grandpa and how thoughtful he is. And you said you're not like him. I view you actually as very much like him. It's weird to me that you don't think you are. He um, missed everyone's name. He just remembers everyone's name. I went to Mark's board recently and totally got someone's name 100% wrong with full confidence in front of lots and lots of people. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. fine. But you're you're very thoughtful. You're, you're, I, I view you as a very thoughtful person. So I observe you making an effort in your relationships with, you know, follow-ups. You'll send me a book here and there. You'll... Um, you know, I, I just, you do that. You should meet this person. So I think you have sort of this, and I'm, I'm making assumptions. I think you have sort of this ongoing active awareness of the people of people and how you can, and how you can help them out in any way. Is that, do you think that doesn't describe you? I think so. That's nice of you to say. It's hard to say about oneself, um, but I try to, I try to like recently my new year's resolution was to be a better listener. And that's a hard thing to make a New Year's resolution out of because it's kind of difficult to measure and what makes a good listener, you know, stuff like that. But like, yeah, that's something that I try to be intentional about. Can I answer Emily's question that I'm so excited about? Of course. Okay, so Emily says, what about online marketing, social media relationships? Oh, I'm so excited. I have so many things. 
Um, okay. <clears throat> I'm really into the books by this guy named Cal Newport, who wrote a book called Deep Work. And um, he wrote a book uh, about like so, uh, digital minimalism, I think is what it's called. <clears throat> and his argument is that social kind of tricks our minds into feeling social. Social media tricks our minds into feeling social without actually being social. And so, um, so like when you click like, for example, it's like the smallest amount of inf positive information you can send another person. It's like a one bit piece of information. And our minds were not evolved for one bit interactions. Our minds were involved for these like incredibly rich, you know, interpretations of social cues and voice tone and body language and all this. And when we get one bit, it kind of like freaks our system out. And we're like, I don't really know what to mean, what that means. Why, why did they send me this one bit? So um, social can have a role. Um, and I've done social and LinkedIn quite a bit, but <clears throat> its goal probably needs to like to not, the goal is probably not to turn strangers into customers or clients or referral partners. It's probably to let people raise their hand and say, I want to talk to you and then try to talk to them. And, um, and if somebody follows us or whatever, and then we reach out and say, Hey, let's chat. And they say, no, I don't want to. That's fine. I don't think we need to unfriend them or unfollow them or anything like that. But like, we just can't consider that like somebody that's in this network we're talking about. It's very tempting to say I have 5,000 people on my email list or I have 6,000 followers on Instagram or I have 20,000 subscribers on YouTube and be like, that's 20,000 people I have a relationship with. It's not true. We don't. We don't. It's 20,000 people who have said they might want a little bit more of a relationship and we can talk to those people, but <clears throat> we probably can't measure our relationships in that way unless we're like a Kardashian <laughs> it, does, it, indi it indicates some amount of affinity, but it, I don't think it indicates a lot more than affinity. Right. Um, it's saying I kind of like you. Yeah. Okay. Last question from Mandolin, Josh. How much do you think your Google ads jumpstarted your organic marketing strategy? Great question. It introduced me to lots of people. But my business is a type of business where having one client doesn't really make me have a second client because nobody wants to talk about their criminal case to their friends. So, um, so kind of the way I think about it is my ads job was sort of the day job that paid my bills while I built my relationship job. And um, I needed that and I made it so that I could go to those lunches without being desperate. Um, and, um, and so I'm really grateful for it, but it, it, eventually I had to like, tell myself, this isn't the end game when I had for a long time thought that it was. So it's not, there's lots of ways to have a day job that pays you to create your real job, but, uh, and that's one, it's one. So like, if somebody wants to use ads, the, the challenges is you might go out of business before you find an ad strategy that works. We happened to find an ad strategy that worked relatively quickly. So there's a little, there's a little bit more risk, I think, with ads than people realize. But like if you had a business right now that's like humming along and making money through ads, you don't need to like shut it down so that you can start a relationship business. Um, it might be the, the day job that lets you intentionally build a relationship business. Yeah, I in my experience uh, working with and observing coaches 
having an ads driven strategy as your sort of bread and butter. Uh, I think technically what you're saying is, is reasonable, Josh. I just don't have a lot of evidence of it in practice where mostly, you know, when people are searching sort of DUI lawyer in Utah and then clicking your Google ad and then getting on a phone call with you, their intent, there's a very specific intent when they're searching that and clicking your ad. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I, I don't have a lot of evidence that, that it translates or that there's a, a clear parallel with, with one-on-one coaching with training. Yes. But with one-on-one coaching, I would, I love what you're saying about a day job. I would say if you want a day job that pays the bills, it's probably not going to be had through a, uh, an ad campaign. Um, Last question. Melissa says, are you inviting people to lunch or breakfast? Uh, inviting people to lunch breakfast or are you treating them? Basically, I think the question is who's paying? I'll tell you that I haven't paid for a breakfast with Josh in five years. Uh, and I, I really and I, try to pay. I do Because again, I don't want people to be like, oh, Josh is inviting me to lunch. This is going to be super expensive. I just don't want that to be part of the equation. But, you know, some people we alternate, some people we split. You know, but I'll, I, I'm happy to pay anytime because, you know, there's no, there's no number of lunches that would, I mean, it, the more lunches I do, the more money I make. There's just no chance that it's not worth whatever it costs for lunch. And I will, I will give you credit that, you know, we're very close friends now, which I love and I, I don't even offer to pay anymore. And, but I never, ever feel weird about it because you don't, you never, ever a single time have implied that there was some sort of string attached to the fact that you always pay never once. There's never even been like the slightest, you do it so happily, so generously. You always tell me every time we go to breakfast, Oh, how much this breakfast means to me and how much you love these conversations. So you do, and I know you mean it and you do a great job of just making it clear that your goal for that interaction was completely met during that interaction and paying for my breakfast it's just part of it. And it's just fantastic. I think it's your attitude is clear and it comes through every time. And I, I imagine I'm, I don't think I'm the only one who experiences it that way. That's very kind of you to say, I hope they play this podcast at my funeral. <laughs> hope they what? Play it what? I hope they play this podcast at my funeral. <laughs> well, I'm speaking. Really nice things. <laughs> I, I have many great things to say at that meeting. Folks, thanks for being with us live today. Josh, thanks for coming. You have so much value to add here. I think you may be a recurring guest on this on this show if you'll do it. If it lets me talk to you more often, then I will take it. <laughs> Everybody have an amazing holiday season, whatever that looks like for you. We're back uh, probably not until the second Thursday in January. Watch your inboxes for updates. We'll talk to you all soon. See ya.